Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. It does me great pleasure to now center our attention on today's guest co-host, my friend, none other than Dr. Shelton J. Good. As I normally do, I would love to give him a proper introduction by sharing his accolades, his credentials. So I will present his bio, and then we will bring Dr. Shelton on to greet us in his own way, um, sharing maybe something that we would not know about him by reading his bio. Dr. Sheldon Good is the president and chief executive officer of Icarus Consulting. Icarus Consulting is a veteran-owned firm that helps companies build a diverse workforce and create an inclusive workplace. Dr. Good has over 20 years of HR and D&I experience, and he has held executive positions in several global companies. He has earned the reputation for being a strategic yet results-oriented leader, whose expertise include talent management, change management, and executive coaching. Dr. Good was the first person awarded the Roosevelt Thomas Lifetime Achievement Award for his work in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So congratulations, Dr. Good. Forbes Magazine recently selected him as one of the 10 top D&I trailblazers. He and I actually shared that recognition together. That's how I first became aware of your wonderful work, Dr. Good. He's also taught at several colleges and universities and is currently an adjunct professor with Duke University's Corporate Education Department. Dr. Good has published several books. His most recent book, Winter in America, The Impact of the 2016 Presidential Election on Diversity in Companies, Communities, and the Country is on the Outskirts Press bestsellers list. Dr. Good received his doctorate from the University of Alabama and his master's degree in human resources from Troy University. Dr. Good currently resides in the Atlanta, Georgia area. So Vodcast community, you know exactly what to do right now. I'm going to stop sharing my screen so that I can allow Dr. Good to be able to be spotlighted. Help us to welcome him by sharing um, whatever emojis or thoughts of welcome into the chat. Let us let us let him know how grateful we are that he said yes to our invitation today. Dr. Good, how are you? Welcome. Doc, how are you? I can't tell you how excited I'm, I am to be here when I shared on uh, via my social media um, that I was going to be on your show. It literally blew up. I, I mean, <laughs> my, my LinkedIn, Twitter, everything blew up. Uh, I, I've seen there, I can see on the screen presently, uh, friends, family, people from my team, and most important, some clients. So Dre, out in King of Prussia, how you doing, bro? So uh, glad, glad, uh, glad to be here this morning. We're gonna have a transparent, candid, they're gonna hear a conversation, not unlike they haven't heard before, because we know each other and share a yeah. lot of things in common. So we're gonna keep it real this morning. Absolutely. One of the things that I always tell my guests, I'll share this with the vodcast community, I always tell my guests that I want them to help co-create this experience. Mm -hmm. It's not enough for me to just come and ask very specific questions. I mean, certainly we spend some time in conversation preparing to make sure that this can be meaningful time for each of you. But I think what makes these conversations so great, Dr. Good, is when we have full agency and freedom to take the conversation to whatever places that feel comfortable in the moment. And so you have that liberty 
integrity today. And, and I understand that maybe you're going to pop some questions my way too. So that's totally fine. I'm up for it. I'm up for you it. Know, you know, you know me, I'm, it's going to be a conversation. Uh, you know, it's not going to be go. a, I'm not going to be on a witness stand and be interrogated. <laughs> I, heck, I may even ask some, some, I may ask some of the folks I see on the screen that I know some questions. So be ready. We can, this can go any kind of way. No, I love it. So to our audience today, of course, for those of you who have been joining us week after week, you know that we love a sense of community. So certainly use that chat. If I say something, Dr. Good says something that really resonates with you, place those thoughts into the chat. If a resource comes to mind that perhaps you think this entire community would gain benefit from, place it into the chat. If we get into a period of sharing and maybe some of the vodcast community members are sharing some things and you want to stand in solidarity with them, then you know what to do. Go to the chat. That's our way of extending our engagement today. And so we really do welcome that. And we will, towards the end, take questions from each of you. We will invite you to unmute yourself and share your question live. Or if you desire, you also can just simply place your question into the chat and we will be sure to address that. So so Dr. Good, I have read your bio, given all of your great credentials and your accolades, which I think is always appropriate. But I often like to start with a simple question of, tell us what we may not know about you from reading your bio. What are some other interesting facts that can help us connect to you? And maybe even you would like to share some of how in which you show up to this space of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which could be some of your perspective around maybe the intersecting identities that you have. So however you want to address that question, share with us. Yeah, so um, again, thank you. So I come to uh, to you today with a lot of different lenses. Um, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that uh, I served my company, uh, my country as a Air Force officer, uh, an educator, having uh, taught um, thousands of uh, graduate students in, um, in uh, human resources and uh, public administration, um, you know, my time in corporate as a chief diversity officer, chief compliance officer, and the HR leader in a number of different industries has given me the privilege of, of being able to talk about this, uh, these, these topics from a number of different areas. And, and then I, I, today, uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to my tremendous team. Um, you know, the, the, the great uh, superstars uh, at, uh, at Icarus Consulting. And I'm proud of the fact that we've been very intentional in the, the types of people that we brought onto our team. You know, we, we, we have people on our team that are, I hate to throw this word out, diverse in every sense of the, of the, of the word. But, um, and, and it's a, I think I, the, if I had to pick one thing that I'm really proud of is that I've given my team, I give my team a sense of, of family. They, they have, what's this one over here on the right? That, that, that they, can, they told uh, some, some, Someone's not on mute. Uh, I, I, give my, I give my team, uh, you know, permission to, uh, we are a learn, do, a do, learn, grow organization. So everything that we mm -hmm. do, we learn from, and, and then we hope to grow. So my team pushes me, they challenge me, and that, that has helped make me, a, a better person. And then last but not least, I'm, I'm old school. I'm from, I was born and raised in uh, North Philadelphia, uh, the Strawberry Mansion neighborhood. And I'm, I, I'm one of those people that, uh, you know, I know we've got all this download music and things like that, but I have over 10,000 albums 
and uh, I will, you know, go back to the vinyl and pull that out. You know, that's just the old school than me. So um, that's Tell just, your age, Dr. Good, but that's, that's okay. okay. <laughs> Listen, I'm right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> albums are coming back. They're coming back. I'm keeping my they really albums. Are. They're coming back. Yeah. Yeah. They really are. No, I love that. I love that. Interesting tidbit about yourself. One thing you know, yo, you got to I am going to, I'm going to remind each of us to please make sure that you locate that mute button. Let's make sure it's activated. There will be an opportunity mm -hmm. for you to share. And so during that time, we will invite you to unmute yourself and share. I also want to thank you for your service. I've seen a couple of that, those statements that have appeared into the, um, the chat as well. So thank you for your service. And let me correct myself because I did not pronounce your company's name correctly. So Dr. Good, I want to get this right. I was taking notes when I heard you mention it a second ago. You said Icris. Is is that correct? That's correct. It yes. Could. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Give me a little bit of, of interesting tidbit about that name. Oh, here we go. Now, yeah. you see, now, you, now you're going deep. Um, you know, I, I went to a, a Jesuit prep school and uh, we had to take two languages, Latin and Spanish. And one of the things we had to do was learn Greek mythology. And uh, I uh, became enamored with one, uh, a, a particular figure out of Greek mythology. It's Icarus. Uh, you know, this character decided to, uh, you know, he, he believed everybody should fly. So he fashioned some wings and, uh, you know, tried to ascend to Mount Olympus. A lot of people think they know the story of Icarus as having failed um, because he made the wings out of wax. But truly, this, the story is about a person who aspired to be um, something more than, uh, than, than he, you know, people thought he could be, did something that no one had uh, did. And um, so, you know, that's sort of the inspiration behind Icarus. Our tagline is, let's defy gravity. We, we believe everyone can be more. We believe everybody has to, deserves the opportunity to be the best version of themselves as they define it. So that's what we try to help our, our clients uh, and our uh, colleagues do. I love that. I love that. Thanks so much. I've been waiting for this opportunity to ask you about um, the name, the, the meaning behind the name of, of the company. So thank you so much. So let's let's jump right in. Mm -hmm. So we are now, I don't want to say post-COVID because it's still right. impacting, you know, so much of what we are experiencing right now. But right. how is work being reimagined? And talk about maybe the pros and the cons of how people are reimagining work now that we've gone through a couple years and we still are dealing with some effects of COVID. But yeah. now we're smarter about it. It, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and you, you, you know this, and so, uh, so does, um, you know, the audience today. Um, we're here, we are in uh, May of 2022. And this is not, this is, we're not where we were just two years ago. We're in, we're in a different world. I spend a lot of my time um, talking to uh, particularly leadership and organizations to get them to understand, accept, and hopefully embrace that we're just in a different place. Let me give you an example. Um, one of my clients just announced today that everyone has to come back into the office starting one June. And it's an arbitrary unilateral. Now, again, companies deserve the right to make decisions. But I, I think that decision is not being informed. Um, you know, employees today, want more say over the things that impact them every day. They want more say over their work, how that work is done, where that work is done, yeah. when that work is done. And again, I know companies are not uh, used to having to negotiate and discuss these types of 
um, conditions of employment with their um, employees, but that's just the reality. And employees are voting with their feet. And yeah. employees, in addition to demanding and deserving a psychologically safe, less toxic workplace, one where people are valued, respected, and, and allowed to be the best version. They, they want more say over the technical aspects of their work, not after the fact. They don't want to be consulted after the fact. Hey, we're going to, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think? No, they, they think they want companies to engage them in the conversations up front. And let me be candid here. Leaders are not comfortable, confident, or competent having those sorts of what you and I have, you know, uh, labeled as courageous conversations. They're just not. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's what we try to do is uh, help our clients around the corner and across the globe understand that we're in a new reality. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to talk about it, a new reality. And what I have been um, amplifying for a lot of um, the client partnerships that we have, and you probably have been doing the same, Dr. Mm -hmm. Good, is that since we are in this distributed workforce environment, this hybrid or fully remote, we have to make sure that we are even more leaning into all of the best practices relevant to diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. Because it's hard enough when we are actually sharing the same physical space, right. but when we go now to this hybrid um, environment, it takes an even more concerted effort to make sure that we are meeting people where they are, we are helping them to feel a sense of connectivity mm -hmm. and, and belongingness. And so I know that that's been a big conversation that we're having. I'm sure you're having it as well. Yes, uh, it's a, it, it is the conversation. Yes, um, the conversation. But, but we've both been doing this a long time. And, and you and I have, um, you know, in, in some respects, I know I have, having been a former chief diversity officer, I came into this work kind of pushing things down. And, and, and we're looking at now a reversing the model, mm -hmm. taking feedback from employees via uh, feedback that's been gifted to us via town halls, via employee surveys, right. via right. listening sessions, and, and, let, and, and, and using that to inform what does diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging mean from the people who are helping to make the organization successful? And then if we can align our efforts in response to that feedback to corporate goals and, uh, and, and what we are trying to do as the, you know, in some cases, maybe the mission of the organization, then you're going to have a healthier. And I'm, I'm, I used to say more profitable, more successful. Now I'm using the word health, a more healthier organization. That's what we like need. That. We need organizations that are healthier. Yes, healthier in many respects, not just from the bottom line, but right. the people are feeling the sense of wholeness by being a part of your organization. Right. So I, I love that 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 reframing. I think that that's really key. So I'm going to stay here for a moment. Um, why can't CEOs go back to business as usual, whatever that was? Right. Yeah. What's hindering management in a new and this new employee landscape? Yeah. What What's hindering management is is. Um a denial of, of the reality that of what we have gone through, going through yeah. the impacts on business. You can't go backwards. You just can't. Mm -hmm. You can't have gone through a, a pandemic that has had financial, emotional, physical, um, you know, impacts. You can't have gone through an election and, and the post um, impacts of that election um, in the form of an insurrection and things like that. You can't have gone through what we went through 
um, um, with the with the deaths of uh, Ahmad and um, you know Brianna and George, and you can't have gone through all of that without today thinking and feeling a certain way. You have to accept that that is um, having uh, negative externalities on your people. You can't. You just can't go back. The question is what we should be asking, and, and, and I don't believe we're doing enough of it, is asking um, our, uh, the, the people who we're counting on to make us successful, what do you need to do your best work? What, do, what is it that you know, we, may we need to do different? What is it that we need to do better? And then, and then listen, not to fix, but to learn. Mm -hmm. Let's listen and learn, and then, let's, and then when it comes to fixing, when it comes to solution, let's involve the people who know best what they need to do their best work in developing and implementing the solution. We've, this is, we're talking about a reversal, a complete change in model. And, and I have two sons on active duty and they're telling me, um, you know, daddy, we're seeing, you know, we're, we're, we're generals are coming to the base and they're spending two, three hours just listening. And, and trying to go back. If the military can do it, simply corporate America, nonprofits, companies that are shareholder owned and owned by private equities can do it. It's time we need to listen better. But I think you and I and, and, and other firms like ours need to equip leaders at all level to be uh, more comfortable, competent, and competent having these com the conversations that need to be had. I so agree, Dr. Good. And when I think about some of the recent events that, um, you know, have found its way into, into the media, which of course is impacting so many people, mm -hmm. um, I think about the reproductive rights conversation that's really, um, you know, caused a, a lot of division and a lot of um, people that are in places of concern. And then I think about um, the, you know, this is, you know, a APPI, um, awareness month I think about the the violence that have been inflicted upon that community and and there's so many other things and and what I'm finding is that organizations are still grappling with how do we appropriately balance bringing those conversations into the workplace without it really impacting negatively productivity but what I think that we don't realize is that ignoring it is not making people feel less anxious about it right they're still bringing all of those thoughts those concerns into the workplace and so is it your, are you of the persuasion that organizations should kind of meet these types of complex social issues head on and provide space and time for people to process together in the workplace? What are your thoughts on that? Doc, you already know what I'm going to say. Um, I, I think we are late. We, this is something we should have always been doing, uh, mm -hmm. creating um, safe spaces for people to have productive, healthy conversations. Now, Everyone knows, everyone on this call, on this, on, on this um, podcast knows, on this broadcast knows, these conversations are already happening. Right. They are already happening. They were always happening. They were all, you know, when we were in the workplace together, they were happening around the water coolers. They were happening at lunch. They were happening in happy hours after work. The conversation was always happening. But, but what was happening was creating a us versus them. It's the workers, it's us, the people that are helping making the organization, you know, successful. And then there is everybody else and everybody else could be, you know, whoever is not in your, your tribe. So now what I am encouraging 
uh, all of uh, you know my clients to do is to create a space where those conversations can take place. Um, I think it's important for psychological safety. Uh, this is mental um, um, mental health awareness month. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just spoke last week at a major conference around mindfulness, helping mm -hmm. people be where they are um, as a way to um, enhance uh, mental mental health and mental and, and well-being. So, so I believe that that companies owe it to themselves, owe it to the or the, 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 the to the organization <clears throat> to create this these spaces for people to have um, these conversations again. I go back to my point and I apologize for being redundant. We just don't have people equipped to have these conversations. Yeah. Um, can you imagine um, after the announcement was made about the leaked memo, um, you know, employees running to uh, their supervisors or managers, or I know in one specific case, a, a client organization where they have a women's ERG and the women's ERG the next day was virtually knocking on the door of the CEO. Are you going to put out a statement? What are you going to do about this? Yeah. And, and, and no one, I mean, people, most folks, remember what it was just a few years ago. We told people we didn't talk race, religion, politics. We didn't talk about these things. Now you, you, you have to. And so again, we, I, I think we just have to um, continue uh, equipping leaders to, to, uh, to be more inclusive. And I know that's something... Um, you know that you're doing. I'd like to hear what you're what you're doing with some of your with uh, some of your your clients. What what's yeah. what's keeping them awake at night? Well, the same things that I'm sure you're dealing with. You know, I think it's just the how do we appropriately navigate some of these complex issues while we're also trying to maintain focus on um, what we do, the mission of the organization, right? And so this whole notion of I'm going to stay in my lane, this is what we do. I feel like a lot of organizations are beginning to understand that um, they have power and influence and what's happening outside of the four walls of the organization is definitely impacting how in which people are showing up to the organization, how they are working, how they're interacting, or maybe the lack thereof productivity, right? And so there's starting to realize we have to make sure that we are providing these spaces for people to process together. We have to acknowledge that we realize those issues certainly could be negatively impacting people. So I think just the, the, the increased appetite of, of organizational leaders, acknowledging it, speaking to it, whether it's in town hall meetings, it's in email conversations, mm -hmm. you know, in whatever way, it shows the humanity of the core of this work, right? Which is we all are human. We can't separate certain portions of who we are and our concern just because now we're on the clock, if you will. So I'm you know, seeing a lot, a lot similar to what you are. You talk about the spaces, um, you know, it, it, people may take away from this conversation, we're talking internal only. The spaces is bigger. You know, um, there are companies that are, that, that want to be uh, better stewards and better community partners in the places where their employees work, live and play. Yes. Those, those employees have to go to their communities and there are conversations taking place in their communities, um, suppliers. Um, I'm talking to a lot of my clients about things that they could and should be doing to increase uh, economic inclusion. Um, and uh, there is an expectation over, that's come out of the last two years where if you are not helping, if you're not spending money with um, uh, businesses that are owned by uh, women and, and, um, and uh, you know, people of color, um, you know, you should be taking a look at that. Um, and so 
um, Wall Street is putting pressure on companies that says, hey, as you come to us for additional equity and um, you know bond or funding, we're going to be asking you, what are you doing to make your communities where your employees live, work, and play a better place? You can't just, I, can't, I was about to almost mention a particular client, but you just can't stay in your lane. I'm sorry. And, and then if you're in the DMV, if you're in Atlanta, Georgia, where uh, there, historically there has been a line drawn in the sand that says you have to make, if you're going to come and do business here, you have to make, you just can't make money. You have to make an impact and you have to help make things better. And here in Atlanta, we had a, a number of serious issues where companies were, you know, in, in, um, investors, employees, um, communities were asking companies, you got to take a stand. Leaders are not, they, this has not been their thing. And so we have to help them be better um, and, and then also help it make sense for the company so that they can do both. I believe companies can do both. Yeah, I believe organizations no, I can do both. Yeah, I, that's why I'm so intrigued about um, the B Corp that a lot of organizations are now gravitating to. And we've started that process of looking into it. We haven't fully adopted all the principles, but I think that that is one of the ways in which many organizations are trying to be much more intentional around these issues that we know are important to people, which I think is great. So I want to talk about polarization and DEI. <laughs> I was on a panel actually earlier this week, and that was a question that came up. And, um, you know, I, I want to get your thoughts on it. But, you know, for all of those individuals that will say, you know, this conversation of diversity, equity, and inclusion is just divisive. It's a distraction. It's just dividing people and we need to stay away from it, you know. I'm of the persuasion that those that believe those sentiments, it's because they have classified in their mind that DEI is all about having some winners and some losers and that this work is not something that helps all of us emerge stronger. So how do you address the, the question or the comments related to how polarizing this conversation is and how we need to just stop because it's not necessary and it's just creating division? Yeah, so uh, say to that. <laughs> <laughs> let me give a shameless plug. In my, in my most recent book, Beyond Inclusion, uh, reimagining the, the you know, me reimagining work, workers in the workplace. That's, that's the first thing I talked about at the very beginning of the book is, is reminding people that I know when, when some people hear the word diversity, if, well, let's put it like this, you know this, I know this. You ask 10 people what diversity is, you're gonna get 30 different definitions. The same goes with inclusion, equity, belonging, and all the other words that we use. So what I've tried to do is first of all, remind everyone that the work that we do has always been about trying to help the organization and everyone in it um, be better, be better as defined by the organization and the, the people in that respective organization. It was never, even though people believed it, it was never designed to um, only benefit women and people of color at the expense of white males. Um, right. So this is not new. This is right. not new. Now, the, the events of recent years have, have, have brought us back to this debate, but the, 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 the question and the challenge of the, uh, about what is the intent and the, and the aspirations behind the work 
has always been challenged. What what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to do is get people to just let's just talk common sense. Let's just talk in everyday language and 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 talk about what is it that you need to be the best version of yourself so you can do the best work so that everyone benefits. And then let's have a conversation around that. Uh, Doc, you, this, this big thing about the mass resignation, it's real. People yeah. have decided I'm leaving the workplace. Can I share a quick antidote just real quickly? Of course you can. My wife was the vice president of human resources at Cox Automotive. During COVID, she took a package and left. And, you know, we talked about it as a family and, and just says, it's time. It's mm -hmm. time. Um, and what, even though COVID had an impact, even though some of the things that's happening, maybe at the company had an impact, what had the bigger impact was she says, it's, I've got options now to do something I really want to do. So she went out and started an online, high-end retail resale business. Translation, she gets a chance to go shop <laughs> and then come back and then resell that. I mean, I mean, and so she's living her best life. She didn't want to go back into corporate. I have two daughter-in-laws, both, both highly educated, and they are seriously considering leaving the workforce and, and starting a professional, uh, a bakery, starting a bakery because they have professional baking skills. People are make, are said, have taken a step back and said, wait a minute, maybe I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Maybe I don't, maybe I want to do the true best version of myself is doing what I'm being called to do. And so mm -hmm. companies need to understand. And oh, by the way, this is your top talent. This is your high potential talent. Right. These are the people that, that high potential I'm defining as someone who can go two levels above where they currently are. These are your top performers. And, and I'm defining top performer as someone who has been rated as exceeding expectation to mm -hmm. performance cycles. Mm -hmm. Those people always have had choices and they're not just leaving their company to go to another company. Some of those folks are leaving to start their own businesses. They're starting their consulting firms or they're following their calling and aspiration, whether that's starting a cooking show or starting a rock group. And so I'm trying to get CEOs to understand you're not just competing with people in your industry, you're competing with people's dreams. And if you don't give them a reason to be at your company, then they're going to do what they believe is in their best long-term interest. What do you think about that, Doc? No, I'm seeing it firsthand. I mean, the way in which organizations right now are having to navigate how to attract and retain the best talent, they certainly are having to be much more innovative and creative in their approach to what that looks like versus how it was, you know, prior to this great resignation, what a lot of people are also referring to as the great reevaluation, reimagining. Mm -hmm. and, and people have um, some really strong boundaries that now they are holding themselves themselves um, more accountable to. And that is showing forth and how in which they're making decisions about where to plant themselves from an employment perspective. So um, it, it definitely requires organizations to think beyond what has what has worked, you know? Doc, let's talk to our HR colleagues in talent yeah. management and talent acquisition. Those of you that are that are out there trying to find talent in the most competitive landscape you've seen maybe in the last decade uh, unemployment is at a record uh, unemployment is at a record low um 
I don't think, I mean, the talent acquisition and talent management people know that people now have decided if I'm going to work 2020, 2040 hours a year, which is a typical work year, maybe some of that work can be part-time. Some of that work can be gig work. Some of that work can be me doing my own thing. And now people are able to put together a life that allow in a lifestyle which says I don't need all of your I don't need to get all of my salary and all of my variable income from you. So talking bonuses, uh, long-term incentives, maybe I can cobble together enough revenue income income for my family that allows me to take care of my family and I'm not dependent on you. Be yes. and, and, and so if you are a CPA like my daughter, you can put your stuff out there for gig work. You can work part-time or contract. And as long as her husband who is working and, and has insurance, or she has a father like me that will back her up. I mean, the people are able to, to, to people have more choices. So act the, the talent acquisition experts and superstars are having to work harder. And oh, by the way, my daughter-in-law is one of them. She is a director of talent acquisition. And she says, oh my gosh, it's so hard. People are asking for so much. And yeah. some of these things are beyond my ability to give them. Yeah. Yeah. It is tough out there. These are conversations on the daily that I'm having and that so many of us are having because it's real. This is definitely a market for the employee. And the fact that people do have options certainly is um, creating some bigger challenges for the workforce, but it doesn't have to be. And I think that's what how we need to shift the conversation. We don't have to see it as a challenge. What we need to do is just be much more innovative around how in which we are trying to address these issues. Yes. I also think about the fact that many business models now are shifting to where yes. their business model is not just reliant upon a whole lot of W-2 FTEs, right? Right. They're reliant upon these consultant partners, 1099 contractors. And so that's changing the landscape as well, because again, it just goes back to your point. People are finding different ways to be able to supplement the income, which gives them greater flexibility, allows them to follow their dreams and their passions. And, um, and this working for people. And so we have so, to get on board with it. Right. So let's bring it right back to where we started. The business case, right? Everybody always says, oh, what's the business case? The business right. case now is not how many of this you have and how many of that you have or whatever. It is, if you don't have a workplace that's psychologically safe, yeah. if you don't have a workplace where I can be my authentic self, if you don't have a workplace where I can be the best version of myself, and if you don't help me grow and thrive to be all I can be, if you have a workplace that's toxic, you're not going to be competitive for the best okay. talent. Uh, you're, that, and, and, and so that's the business case. And so I, I and notice, ladies and gentlemen, I never use the word diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. Those are these, these are words that regardless of what you do for a living every day, you know, you understand what it means and you know what you need to do your best work. The question is, is your voice heard in your organization or is your organization creating an environment so that all voices can be heard mm -hmm. um and so that's what we and notice again i never used any of the dbei you know language and that's you ask me what i'm doing i'm talking everyday common sense language to to people across all industries and across the world 
language that translates across the globe, which is yeah. I want to I want just I just want to do my work. I want I want to do my best work. I want to be paid and treated fair, and I want to go home and spend more and, and spend the bulk of my time with my family, the people that I really care about. Yep, that's it. Any objections to that? <laughs> that's it. That's it, Dr. Good. And I know that your words are resonating with many because I'm seeing lots of great commentary that's showing forth into the chat. And um, I want to remind this audience that in just a second, we're all going to be shifting. So be thinking about the questions that you would like to present or maybe the comments you would like to contribute to this broader discussion. We will invite you to share that into the chat or you simply can raise your hand, which lets us know that you're willing to present your question or comments live and we will spotlight you to do so. So I wanna to go to one more question before we open up to the audience. And I want you to tell us about your latest book. You, of course, as I mentioned, you've written several books, but your latest book is entitled Winter in America. And it's all about the impact of the 2016 presidential election on diversity in companies, communities, and the country. So give us a little bit of premise of what inspired this book and what can people expect if they were to pick this book up, which I hope you all will consider doing so. And my team will certainly source that information and place it into the chat. Yeah. So can I, can I, can I just a little caveat because yeah. um, in this, people ask me, what were you doing during COVID? I was writing. So I actually <laughs> have, uh, I actually have recently released a new book, um, just hot off the presses. And um, and that book is called um, Beyond Inclusion. Okay, um, so that's your newest one, Beyond that, Inclusion yeah, is your actual, it's, okay, it's perfect, yeah. yes. And, and, well, and, and, and it was inspired by COVID, by what I was hearing from clients, from people like you, people in our field, um, you know, from diversity leaders, from, you know, I interviewed probably over 500 people for this book. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you think and feeling and experiencing in this new, you know, in this new environment that we are going through. So it started, you know, obviously um, back in January of 2020, when we discovered that there's this thing called, uh, you know, COVID-19 and, and then immediately we went to a shutdown and, and, and companies had to shift, right. you know, and, 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 you know, the first, my inspiration for it came, I had a client that um, has, a five, has a call center with over 500 people. Now, I have been trying to get this client for a long time to, you know, let's, let's want you, um, in order to increase attendance, why don't we um, let people work from home, some people? And I said, not everyone. Why don't we create competition so that the best performers can work from home? Those with the highest customer satisfaction, the uh, average, the lowest average handle time. Uh, let's let though the ones with the best attendance, let's let them work at home. And then that will give some motivation for everybody else to up their performance. And then we can move them home. No, Dr. Good, we can't do it. Soon as COVID hit, they says, oh, Dr. Good, what are we going to do? You know, we can't have 600, to do it. <laughs> we can't have 600 people in this big mega call center. I says, oh, now we're going to send. So that says, oh my gosh, I'm going to capture that case study. And, and that's how the book we have to reimagine. Why do we need a crisis as a platform for change? Or better yet, we need to use the crises that we went through as a platform for change by reimagining work, workers, what workers need, and the entire workplace. And so this is a book of voices, client voices, people in the industry voices, um, employee voices. And I tried to capture that and as a handbook for leaders that are leading organizations that says, doc, I just, I can't figure this out. 
And so here you go. Here are some, here are some ideas from people that mm-hmm. maybe there's one or two good ideas in here that you can apply to your organization. So I'm, I'm so excited about a book because it's not a preachy book. Mm-hmm. It's not a book for diversity professionals. Uh-huh. Um, it's a book about work. And, mm-hmm. and, and in order to move beyond inclusion, we've got we've to ask people that have helped that get up every day and, and, and have to get you know, kids off to school and, right. and do the work. What do you need? You know, what do we, what, how can we help you be your best self so you can do your best work? And, and, I'm, and if we can just get leaders to listen, not to fix, but to learn, I think we can, I think that's the next evolution of our work, Doc. That's what I think. Yeah, no, I agree with you. One of the, the my favorite questions to ask people and to encourage people to ask others is what does support look like for you? And even for you in this moment, because that support can look different from day to day based upon the circumstances. And so I think it's a great way for us to really be centered on hearing from people directly who are being impacted and particularly for allies and then feeling called to action around that specific information instead of what we assume is the best way to help someone. And I think that's just so critical. Well, we did share your Beyond Inclusion Reimagining Workers um, link to in the in the chat. So I hope you all will take a look at that. Um, so I want to open it up for our audience here. Is there some curiosities you're holding right now that you would like to um, be spotlighted and share with the group? And Linmore, I think I saw your hand go up first. So I am adding you to our spotlight. Welcome. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us this week. Yes. Good morning, everyone. And greetings from Decatur, Georgia. Um, I'm going to do a selfish plug for myself with um, Dr. Good. I'm interested in finding out in the Atlanta area, I'm in Decatur, I see you, I think you're in Conyers. Right. Um, I'm interested in getting plugged into the network here in the um, Atlanta area. Any suggestions? Absolutely. Either, and I've already reached out to you on uh, LinkedIn, but uh, when you mentioned that, and when she mentioned that in your bio, I was like, oh yeah, cool. Plus yeah. I'm also a veteran too, officer. Um, Michigan National Guard and uh, thank you, sir. Thank, thank you for your service. So yeah. good, good question. I can give you a, a very concise answer. Atlanta, uh, we have privilege because given our long history uh, with civil rights and and uh, social justice, etc. We have uh, so the the most robust <clears throat> communities in the country. Um, we have uh, number one. Uh, let's start with the Society for Human Resource Management. We have one of the largest, most robust chapters in the SHRM ecosystem. We, we, every year we have a SHRM and Atlanta SHRM diversity conference, which is almost as big as the SHRM national conference. It's called SOAR. And so I'll start there. And, if, and then I'll go uh, the next step. We have what's called the Atlanta Diversity uh, Management Advocacy Group, ADMAG, which is uh, a group of uh, community and uh, company uh, DNI leaders that meet every other month. We have in Atlanta, the National Association of African Americans and Human Resources Atlanta chapter, which is the largest chapter of that organization. Um, <clears throat> Black um, National Black MBA is headquartered in Atlanta and the biggest, most robust chapter is the Atlanta chapter of the National um, um, black uh, MBA. Those are, I would start there, get plugged in. And uh, the national um, conference or national black MBA is coming here. 
we invite everyone on this call to come to Atlanta. Um, we have the best food. We have the best time. Um, and it's going to be a live conference. It's going to be the first live conference in three years. So we, so uh, Leroy, connect with me. Um, I'll, I'll reach out to you on LinkedIn and we'll connect. Um, I'll treat you to some coffee or some, some wings, whichever one you like the best. And uh, I'll catch you up on what's happening. Thanks so much, Lynn Warrior. Appreciate you being here week after week. Great, great, great um, resources and suggestions, Dr. Good. So I want to leave space and time. If someone else has um, a question or a comment that you'd like to contribute, please raise your hand now so that I can um, bring you into the conversation. Okay, Tina McDaniels. Good to see you, Tina. I'm bringing you into the spotlight. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So my uh, question kind of goes back to the discussion around polarization and DEI, and the comment was made that work has always been about organizations being better, and it's never been to necessarily benefit women and um, BIPOC population. So how do you how do you kind of leverage equity in those situations where you know that there have been inequities, um, Dr. White? Um, presented at a conference in my area just recently, and inequity is real. So, so how do you address that, Dr. Good? Yeah, inequity uh, has, has, has always been real and it's always been in the workplace. And um, first of all, equity has never been understood that you have to give uh, people what they need um, to do their best work. It's not about a one size fits all. But equity, whether it has been um, or inequity, whether it's been around pay, women have been underpaid for decades. I mean, since they've been at the workforce, they're still earning only 79 cents for every dollar. And, and, and companies have not, for the most part, taken intentional actions to just look at equity and internal equity. Um, and so um, uh, I, let's go to um, health and disability. Um, companies still struggle, even though it's the law with uh, coming up with something as simple as reasonable accommodation committees and, and not leaving it to supervisors to say, you know, whether or not I can provide that accommodation or what that accommodation should be looking like. We should be looking at accommodations across the whole enterprise. And, and we're still not good at that. And so and so it's always been about what does what do what do individuals, groups need that to do their best work. And so um, we, we just need to be, we need to lock our arms with our HR partners. And I'm sorry, we gotta go back old school because we used to do audits and things like that to identify barriers um, and practices and processes that were preventing uh, um, you know, and, and limiting productivity. And we've gotten away from that. We've gotten away from that. Now, what? let me go back to my statement. The work, I, you know, the statement was, it was never only about, you know, doing work to benefit women and, 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 and Blacks, Indigenous people of color at the expense of white males. It was mm -hmm. always about um, providing everyone with the tools, resources, um, elim eliminating inequities and barriers and headwinds so everybody could produce their best work, because that's the way the company is going to maximize its utilization. There have always been naysayers, always, and they will always will be naysayers. I spend no time 
on the naysayers. I spend my time on those that say, how can we better leverage our employee resource groups, diversity councils, um, great place to work committees, safety committees, uh, the health and wellness um, uh, communities to create the best workplace, the healthiest workplace so that everybody can do their best work. And so, you no, know, we need to continue to identify inequities that are impacting on organizational, individual and organizational performance, and then put in place um, mechanisms to, to balance out that playing field over time. That, that's new, that's, we just got away from it. I remember when I was an HR business partner, we used to go and look at by business unit, you know, like, let me give you an example. Maybe this will help. When I was at one company where salespeople had, they got their salary, they got a bonus and they got commission. So we had salespeople making 300% um, over the average salary. And we said, wait a minute, something's wrong. Should they be entitled to commission and bonus? And so we went back to the salespeople and we said, which one do you want, commission or do you want bonus? They said, hey, don't mess with our commission. You can keep that lousy bonus because some years we got it. Some, that's what we're talking about, equity. And so I can give you hundreds of examples and, and dozens of them are in my book about what equity actually means and how you go about rooting out inequity. But it's all driven by each organization. It looks different in each organization. Doc, wouldn't you agree? I completely agree. You, you answered that very comprehensively. So yes. I got to get one more example. Um, because, because during COVID, we had clients that were trying to everything they could to keep the doors open. I had a CEO come to me and say, Doc, um, what do you think about this? I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep, I don't want to lose any headcount. So, you know, I'm going to just implement a 35% across the board pay cut. He says, what do you think about that? I says, are you open to some feedback? He says, yes. I says, why would you do that? Why would you make a person who's only making $11.25 take a 35% pay cut? I says, you know, wh why don't you look at 35% for the C-suite? Why don't you look at 25% for VPs? Why don't you look at, you know, cash? And then, and then for anybody not making $20 an hour, don't touch them. Mm. He says, oh, I didn't think about that. And so that's what we're talking about, equity. We got to get people to understand the difference between equity and equality. And, and, and I know Dr. White is uh, going around the country, you know, trying to get people to understand that. So a couple solid examples, hopefully that illustrates my point. Thank you, Dr. Good. I've ordered your book, so Thank I'll you. be looking for those other examples. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome, fantastic. Thank you so much, Tina, for sharing. Um, so Rachel Magirazzi, we have time for another question. I wanna bring you on next to present your question, please. Yes, hi, hi. hi, Dr. Good. I really enjoyed the conversation today. Um, I hey, wanted Rachel. to ask something that I think will be answered in your book, which I'm going to order. Um, but could you could you expand on how the Trump presidency affected how people look at diversity, equity, and inclusion work in America as a whole? And um, you've said a lot throughout this conversation about language and how you don't focus on DEI <laughs> language. Um, is it because of that? And as DEI workers. What can we do to help or to, what can we do? Because there's a lot of backlash based on some of the things that were said 
and done during the Trump presidency to where a lot of people in workspaces are very resistant to anything that we have to do. So those are my questions. Yeah, uh, um, great questions. Uh, we've have got, only got like 30 seconds to answer. Um, so let's continue this conversation on LinkedIn. I hope everybody will, will, will connect with me so we can so we can continue this conversation. Let me try to answer your question as concisely as I can. Uh, my, my use of common everyday language is not, doesn't have anything to do with the previous administration, the backlash that we're seeing even now. Um, my, my approach has been, I gotta be able to talk to a sales rep at a, at a retail store. I gotta be able to talk to a lineman climbing a pole. I gotta be able to talk to a, uh, uh, a person that works in the emergency room. I've got to have language that, that I can use consistently uh, across all industries that makes sense. No one, no one, nobody at, in the, at the front levels uses words like diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and any of the other words. I'm not saying these are not valid concepts and words. I just say, I have to, I've got to talk to people. I have to meet them where they are and talk to them in a way in which they understand, which is what do you need to do your best work? In terms of the impact of the previous administration on this work, well, now there's another book, uh, which is Winter in America, the impact of the, of the uh, 2016 presidential election on, uh, on uh, diversity in communities, companies in the country. Um, let's just say that what we are, what we are left with is um, polarization. Um, you know, if you're not in my camp, you must be the enemy. And I will tell you that if you get into a conversation like we have today and create a form by, by participating in forums like Dr. White's, uh, you know, intentional um, conversations, you will find there is no us in them. We all want basically the same thing, which is healthy communities, healthy companies, and a country that lives up to its aspiration, which is life liberty uh and in the pursuit of happiness uh you know with uh you know liberty and justice for everybody for everybody i'll stop there because i know we got two minutes dr white i'll toss it back to you ma'am no thank you so much um yeah you're you're getting some round of applause um on that so so we we definitely are in agreement with you so in our final two minutes dr good there's certainly we could probably continue this conversation for another hour at least but i want to give you the ability to in our final two minutes to just share with this audience maybe some additional things that you're feeling really emboldened and passionate about right now that we were not able to tackle within this conversation what would you like to leave this audience with with one word, with one phrase, we're better than this. We can be better. Let's figure out what we need to do different so we can be better. Let me say it again. Let's figure out what we need to do different so we can do be better. We, uh, we want healthy communities. We want healthy companies. And we want a country that's better. We're better than this. Mm -hmm. as, as a person that served this country and flew um, around the world defending what we stand for, we're better. We're better. So let's roll up our sleeves. Let's get to work and uh, let's get it done. 
That's uh, an amazing note to end on. We are better than this. I believe it. I hope each of you who are connected here with us today and our community with us believe it because it's going to help us emerge stronger if we do believe it. So Dr. Good, thank you so much for sharing thank with you. us today. Thanks for saying yes to our invite. Thanks for all of the work that you're doing. Thanks for your service to our country. And uh, we hope that we will be able to invite you back in the future. Absolutely. So much going on with you and in your work. Um, I hope you all have enjoyed this. If you have, I want you to be sure that when the replay goes out, you share it with someone else in your network that you think would be uh, find this content of value. But we appreciate you being a part of the Intentional Conversations podcast community and hope to see you next week. Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you.